in your Bibles and let's go to Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. And as you're going to Ephesians 4, I want to ask you a, a question. A few questions, actually. What do you know about a train that is moving and its stopping distance? It takes about a mile for a train to stop. Okay? What do you know about a person who is on the tracks when a train is moving? Train wins every time. Right? So, this, I mean, this is basic common sense stuff. If you got something that takes a mile to stop, and you are less than a mile away, and you're on the tracks, you're kind of in danger. Spiritually speaking, can I just be honest with you? Some of you are on a different set of tracks, and a different train is coming. Except it's not trying to stop. It's continuing to roll. And churches, oftentimes, though we know that, we stand back as bystanders watching somebody that we love just stand on those tracks and we don't say anything or do anything about it. And and now we claim to love them, but clearly we're indifferent to them. And one of the ways that this happens a lot of times is churches go, well, you know, we don't get into doctrine. You know, we just want to love everybody. Now, listen, at the surface, that sounds good. Like we ought to love people, right? But that's a dangerous statement, church. Because listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4.15. This isn't our text, but I want us to see it. He says, but speaking the truth in love. Notice, Paul said that we got to speak the truth. You know, if just like that person that you knew that was on the tracks, and you heard the whistle of the train coming... If you loved them, you would do something to get them off those tracks. If you just kind of stood there and go, well, you know, I know it takes about a mile for a train to stop, and you're like a half a mile away, and, well, I hope nothing bad happens to them. Like, you wouldn't think that person loves their friend. Yet the reality is that's what a lot of Christians are doing with friends, family, neighbors, coworkers. They're not speaking the truth. Now, we do need to speak it in love, but listen to, look at the rest of that verse. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is ahead, even Christ. And so, we speak the truth so that people will be saved, and so that believers will grow up in their walk with Christ. This is the importance of having right beliefs. Because what we believe will influence how we behave. And this is my greatest, one of my greatest concerns as a pastor. Satan's greatest weapon today is man's ignorance of what the Bible actually teaches. The reality is we have more access to the Word of God than at any other time. If you have a smartphone or a tablet, you've got a phone with you. You got your Bible with you everywhere you go. But so few people actually know what the Bible teaches. And it's this ignorance that is leading many down the road that's going to lead to eternal separation from God in the lake of fire. 
the one big thing this morning is going to be this, that biblical unity is maintained by what we believe and by how we live. Let's look at it together. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 1. And I'm going to ask if you can, would you stand as we honor God's word? Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering and forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, One God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Would you pray with me? Fathers, we begin this time of studying your word. Lord, I pray that you would give me clarity of mind and clarity of words. I pray, Father, that what we're about to study is not my thoughts and my opinions, but truly the Holy Spirit speaking freely as we need. Father, would we see the holiness of you and the exceeding sinfulness of sin that those who have never trusted you, that they may fall on your grace this morning and be saved and that the saints would be strengthened and that, that God, we would learn to live in a right relationship with you so that we can point others to you. Lord God, we just ask that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Again, the one big thing this morning is biblical unity is maintained by what we believe and in how we live. Now, we can really break these six verses into three sections. You've got section one, then you've got two and three. And those are the attitudes that believers need to have. Uh, to demonstrate that they are, in fact, in a right relationship with Jesus. Now, Lord willing, we're going to look at verses 2 and 3 next week because we want to focus on verses 4 through 6 this morning. And it is reminding us of how we are to believe this right doctrine. And verses 2 through 6 are really informing verse 1. Now, what is verse 1? Well, in verse 1, there is a command That is to be obeyed here. Look there, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, the command. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. And so the the command is to walk worthy. Now, the, the worthiness is not your worth. The worth in this verse is what is your salvation worth? to you. In light of who God is, in light of what God has done for you, is he worthy of your love and your obedience? This is really what Paul is getting at, but he uses a strong word. He says, I beseech you. That is, I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you. All right. How many parents have ever seen their child about to do something less than intelligent, and they try to warn them not to do it? Any parent ever done that? Okay. That's beseeching. You're begging them, please don't be a bonehead. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes they're still going to do it. And there's nothing you can do to stop them. 
But we have got to plead with them. Well, Paul is pleading with the Christians at Ephesus to live a life that is worthy of who God is and the salvation that he has given us. Now, maybe you're not really familiar with what truths God taught in Ephesians 1 through 3. Why should we live a worthy life? So let's just do a real quick uh, overview, a quick survey of it. Well, if you were to go to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, you would see this, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And so before God spoke in Genesis 1 and created everything, before that moment, he chose you to walk in a worthy way, to save you in a relationship with him. Now, before you start puffing out your chest and thinking, oh, well, of course he did that. I'm a good guy. You know, I go to church, right? I mean, God does that for the church-going people, right? Before we think that, let's go over to chapter 2 and look at verses 1 through 3 here. Paul says, and you hath he quickened, that is, he has made us alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein, in time past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So those of you who are thinking, well, I'm a good person, Paul just said, no, you're not. Paul said, before Christ, you were dead in your sins. You had no life whatsoever. You lived for Satan. You lived your life for yourself. It was all about me, myself, and I. Okay? These are the people that God, before the foundation of the world, adopted to be a part of his family. Now look at verses 8 and 9 in chapter 2. It says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So this holy God, this perfect God, before the foundation of the world, knew that you and I and everybody else in the world would rebel against him, that we are sinners by birth and by choice. And because of his great love, he gave us grace in an attempt to save us. This is the God that we are worshiping. That God doesn't love the ones who are quote-unquote worthy of him, but rather he loves us when we are so unlovable. That God knew that we would not even think about him. That we wouldn't want to go to church. We wouldn't want to do things God's way. And yet he still came to this earth to die in our place. To make forgiveness possible and a relationship with him eternal. This is the worthiness that Paul is talking about. So let me ask you something. If you have truly been saved by God, in light of all that he has done for us, is he not worthy of our love and our obedience? 
Is Jesus not worth our everything, including our own life? This is the command to, to walk worthy is to say, God, because of who you are and because of what you have done, God, you deserve my love. You deserve my obedience. You deserve everything I've got because you gave it to me. And all of this begins to inform what we are to believe. And this is where we're going to focus, verses 4 through 6 this morning. Now, there's seven things that we ought to believe in order to maintain biblical unity. Seven different things, but they all have one common link. They all start with the word one. So look there, verse 4. Seven doctrines that help us walk worthy. Number one in verse 4. There is one body. In Christ, all believers are one. We see this in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. Now, this this may come as something new to some of you, and that's okay. Uh, There are two types of the church mentioned in Scripture. There's the universal church. That is all believers of all time and all locations who have been saved by grace. They make up the universal church. So if you are here this morning and you have trusted Jesus, you are part of the big family of God. But there's a second type of church, and it is the local church. Now, what's a local church? It's a geographical location, specific, and a group of believers in that one location. Westlake Baptist Church. We are a local body of believers who are part of God's overall family. Now, why do I talk about these two things? Well, look at verse 12. What is the purpose of the local church? church for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ why is it important that you are a part of a local body of believers for the perfecting that is the completion the maturity of the saints if you want to grow in your faith then you need to be connected to a local body of believers for the purpose of the work of ministry All of us take the gifts God has given us to go out and serve the community and give them and share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we do that, notice what happens. The edifying, that's the building up of the body of Christ. So here's the thing. These are all things that God does. I as a pastor cannot grow this church. Okay? God has to. Now, what's my job? My job is to help us spiritually mature. Because as we grow deeper in our relationship with God, then we're more obedient to what God's Word says. As we're more obedient to what God's Word says, guess what happens? As we grow deep, the church grows wide. So church growth is entirely dependent on the maturity of the believers that worship there, that are members of that church. But we've got to understand that we are one body. We are not to want things our way. We are to serve God by serving one another in furthering the gospel. This is the bi- picture of biblical unity. The second thing he says in verse 4 is this that there is one spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells every believer. The Apostle Paul again writes in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19. 
what? Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost whom you have in you from God? Sometimes we fall into this belief that people who stand up on platforms are somehow super spiritual beings that have a greater access to God. That is an absolute lie from Satan. Pastors, deacons, teachers, worship leaders, missionaries, evangelists, they aren't super spiritual. They have the same spirit living inside of them as you have living inside of you. And so don't fall into this belief that somehow we have to run to somebody and get answers and help in every situation. You know, when I come across a problem and some things that I'm wrestling with, you want to know where I go? Right here. I just simply ask, Spirit, would you please teach me your word to know your wisdom? And you've got that same access. You have the ability to learn to grow in your walk with God. I love, there's a worship leader down in Texas, name's Carrie Job, has a terrific quote that, that summed up a, a pastor's job. Uh, she says this, quote, The pastor is called a shepherd, and rightly so. As a shepherd, the pastor is to lead the sheep to green pastures. But the sheep have to eat. The shepherd can't make you eat, nor can they eat for you. What an incredible quote right there. Because my job isn't to teach you to be dependent on me. Because scripture teaches this, I'm a person who is here one day and is gone the next. My job is to teach you how to rely on the Holy Spirit to convict you and to guide you in your growth with Jesus Christ. And as it relates to maintaining unity within the body, the Spirit does two particular ministries. And the first one is this, conviction of sin. All right, God will not bless a local body that is tolerating sin. He will not bless his individual children who are living in sin. And so it is very important, if we're going to maintain the unity that Jesus gives us, that we are honest about any sin that we are struggling with, personally or corporately. Because until we do that, God will not move in that body. God will not bless that body. But the other aspect, the other ministry here is the growth and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Again, I want to teach you how to be able to open the word and depend on the Spirit to speak to you through this word so that when you have decisions you need to make, you go to God for those. That you learn how to grow in your walk with God. That's my job, and I love my job. I will help you any way I can, but I don't ever want you to become dependent on me. Because if you become dependent on me or another person, then that person, you have placed them as God. And that's idolatry, and that's a problem. We have to learn to rely on the Holy Spirit for everything we do. And the Holy Spirit is our teacher, and the Bible is his textbook. 
So if you want to know how should I live as a Christian, get alone with this book. Spend time, ask questions. Lord, what are you saying to me? What does this text reveal about God? Is this convicting me of a sin? How am I supposed to live this out? Ask those three questions and allow the Spirit to guide you in making the right choices. Which then takes us to the third number one in this. And it is this, that there is one hope of your calling. Now this is a reminder of Jesus' return. In the big theological dictionary, the doctrine of end times is called eschatology. Now, there's a lot of interest in the last days. There are books written on it. There are movies made about it. There are some who have made an entire ministry on just talking about the last days and the second coming and, and all of that. And I want to say this. It is important that we understand that one day Jesus is going to come back and he's going to come back for the purpose of judgment. Okay? That we, we need to know that. However, my fear is that we are so focused on Jesus' return that we are missing the ministry that God has given us now. Can I show it to you in Scripture? Look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you're in Ephesians 4, go to the left, just a couple of books. Ephesians 15 and verse 34. The Apostle Paul, now he's writing this to the church at Corinth. I would argue this, that the church at Corinth was probably the most messed up church in all of the New Testament. They had more problems than Laodicea there in in Revelation 3, okay? But listen to what the Apostle Paul says. Awake to righteousness. In other words, start living a right life and sin not. So evidently, they were doing something that was sinful. Well, what? Well, I love it when you ask a question, Scripture answers Awake the righteous, sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. The sin that Paul is pointing out here is a lack of evangelism within the believers and the body at Corinth. This was a church that was in bitter division. They were fussing and fighting over who was the most important and who was the greatest teacher and leader. And they were suing each other. They were tolerating sin amongst their members and a whole lot of other things. Okay? And Paul's going, you guys are fighting and jockeying for position on who's important and who's going to make decisions and all of this stuff. And while you're fighting each other, there are people in the city of Corinth all around you that are dying and going to hell, and you don't even care about it. Because if you really cared about it, you'd go out there and share the gospel with them. Can I just be up front with you right here? I think if the Apostle Paul was alive today, he'd say this exact same thing to an awful lot of churches. Churches are walking in bitterness and division. Why? Because it's all about them. Who's, who's going to be in power? Who's going to make the decisions? And, and all these personal preferences start clouding what's going on. And the whole time, we are ignoring the one thing God called us to do. Make disciples of all nations. And if you are ignoring that command, I promise you, God will not bless it. But he will allow his judgment to come out. 
And this is what his judgment will be. He will simply allow us to do what we wanted to do. And we will believe the lie that we are doing ministry all the while slowly dying. We need to look forward to Jesus' return. But if, we're, if we really believe, and this is where I want to challenge us, if we really believe that Jesus could come back at any moment, if we really believe that any of us is nothing more than a breath away from stepping out into eternity, then how can we not share the gospel with those who are closest to us? If we're really convinced that everyone who dies or is living in rejection of Jesus when Jesus returns goes to hell, if we really believe that, then how can we sit back and be silent? Why are we not busting down the doors of every person we can find and share with them the one message they really need? That they're a sinner who is alienated from God, but in his love he died in their place and he wants a relationship with them. And if you will surrender to your grace, he will save you. Oh, man, we're, we're looking forward to the day Jesus returns. But we got a job to do until he returns. And as we do that, as we focus on making disciples of all nations, all those little things that used to irritate us and those little quirks that bug us, they start to disappear because we realize we're all pulling in the same direction, the glory of God through the sharing of the gospel. But then there's another one. Look there with me in verse 5. The opening of verse 5 says, One Lord. There are those that, that teach that Jesus wants to be your Savior, and that's absolutely a true statement. But it's only a half-truth. See, Jesus doesn't, just doesn't want to be your Savior. He died to be your Lord. The word Lord means Master. The New Testament doesn't know any such thing as a person who says they have been saved by God but then lives however they want the rest of their life. That is purely a fictional lie that has been made up by the American church. That all you got to do is walk an aisle, say a prayer, sign a card, you got your get out of hell free insurance and, and life is grand. And now you can go do whatever else you want to. We've got to reject this teaching. Jesus did not die so that you could live however you wanted. Jesus died so that we would live for the glory of God. And so that our life would be subject to Him. You know, Jesus asked this question in Luke six forty six: Why do you call me Lord and not do the things I say? If Jesus is worthy to save us, then surely Jesus is worthy for us to live for. Because Jesus didn't die to make us a better us. He came to make us brand new. He's got to be Lord of everything. Or he's Lord of nothing. Sometimes 
we, we like to compartmentalize our life. We got our spiritual life, you know, things we do on Sunday and maybe Wednesday, and then everything else is just, you know, us. And I can look out at you guys and tell most of y'all are pretty hospitable people. I'm sure you like having people over for dinner and stuff. And so let's say you invite somebody over to Sunday lunch. Tradition gone by the way. So you invite somebody over for, for Sunday lunch and they get there and they ring your doorbell or knock or, or whatever. And you open the door and you say, man, I am so happy you are here. Thank you for coming. I want you to come in. And, and guess what? My house is your house. And, and so they decide, well, I want to go hang my coat up somewhere. And so they're walking through your foyer and they're looking for that little hallway closet. And they get their hand on that closet door. You go, no, 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 no. You can't open that door. That's off limits. So you sit down, you have this great meal, everything is wonderful, and they're like, excuse me, I need to go to the bathroom. No, no, you can't go there. That's off limits to you. I mean, we're left, that's ridiculous, right? We, we would let them go anywhere and everywhere they want. That's why we spend hours cleaning, because we know they're going to go in that one room that we don't touch, Right? But honestly, that's how some of you are treating Jesus right now. You said, Jesus, come in heart, save me from my sins. And he goes, yeah, absolutely. But we need to talk about your thought life. No, no, Lord. No, no. I like what I think. We, we need to talk about what you're looking at. No, no, my eyes are just fine. We need to talk about uh, what's uh, going in your ears. Nope. I'm hearing exactly what I want. Husbands, you need to love your wives as Christ loved the church. Hey, don't tell me how to love my wife. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Hey, don't you dare tell me. You don't know the man I married. No, don't tell me to submit. You tell him be a godly man, then I'll submit to him. Preacher's meddling now. Here's one of our day. I love Jesus. But I got to make sure that my five-year-old is on that travel baseball team. Because I heard an internet story, rumor, that the New York Yankees were sending a, a pro scout to a t-ball game in, in Franklin County. So I got to make sure my kid is at Franklin County playing t-ball so that when he's five, he can sign with the New York Yankees. Really? I got to tell you, I played an awful lot of ball. I have coached an awful lot of ball. I'm very uh, involved in my son's wrestling. Uh, my youngest son, as you know, he's nine years old. I have never once seen a college scout at a kid's game. And, and yet, if we're being honest, church has lost a lot of its importance for this reason. We worship at the altar of sports. Not to the altar of God. And I, I'm not trying to condemn anybody because trust me, I know, the, I know the pull. But Jesus didn't die so that we could live our life how we wanted to. He is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. So then Paul continues back in Ephesians 4 here. He says, one faith. Now, this reminds us of the exclusivity of the gospel. What does that mean? It means there's only one way to be saved. 
means only by the grace of God can a person be saved. And this is the greatest source of our unity because the one thing that affects everybody, regardless of your gender, regardless of your education, regardless of your finances, regardless of your socioeconomic status, this one thing affects every one of us. And it is this, for all of sin to come short of the glory of God. We are all sinners by birth and by choice. And our only hope is the grace of God through the sacrifice of God. And yet here is something that came across as I was preparing. It's from a recent research study. It said, quote, 66% of Christians say many religions can lead to eternal life. That wasn't just 66% of people. That wasn't 66% of atheists or agnostics. That was 66% of self-professing Christians say that many religions lead to eternal life. Again, I say this. Satan's greatest weapon today is man's ignorance of what the Bible actually teaches. This breaks my heart, church. That there are people that you and I get to talk to that have swallowed the lies of this society and this culture and they believe they're right with God yet if they were to stand before him today he would say those words in Matthew 7 depart from me you curses for I never knew you you want to know what haunts me? the potential of the people that I get to stand in front of every week some of them may be in that situation I'll know if you're saved or not that's between you and God but I will say this if you deviate from what this teaches you're not saved because the child of God will rejoice in the word of God as taught by the spirit of God now, does that mean we're going to agree on every little thing? No. You know, there, there are some minor things, such as when Jesus is going to return. Is speaking in tongues still relevant today? Th- those are minor things that don't impact your salvation. But who is God? Who is man? How is a person saved? And what is the Bible? These are things that directly are tied to our salvation. And so if there is division or we withdraw from these basic teachings what it reveals is that we were never saved to begin with and so if that's where you're at I want to encourage you to see your need for Jesus this morning it's not the gospel according to the Baptist it's not the gospel according to this pastor it's the gospel according to God's word this is what we come to Next in our text says this, one baptism. Now, th- this speaks of the Spirit placing us in the body of Christ. When does this happen? The very moment you surrender to the grace of God. You are automatically placed into the body of Christ. We do not need to pray to be baptized with the Spirit. Nor do we need to sing, Holy Spirit, 
Come invade this place. What an absolute garbage line. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has come to live inside of the believer, not to fill a building. We've got to learn what Scripture teaches. We are told to be filled with the Spirit, that is to be controlled by the Spirit, but we are never commanded to be baptized with the Spirit. Why? Because from the moment you surrender God's grace, you are baptized with the Spirit and that He comes to live inside of you. And then the final one in our text is this one God and Father. Paul loves to remind us that God is our Father. Because we have believed in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is the only way to be saved, we have gone from the enemies of God to a son and daughter of God. And because of that glorious transaction by the blood of Jesus, all the rights, all the privileges of being a child of God have been given to you. Which means you will never be left alone. Because he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. It means that no matter what happens in your life, when you die, you will go into his presence because your eternity is secured. It means that you are God's child forever. And as it relates to maintaining biblical unity, we have this. Because God is our father, all other believers are brothers and sisters. We're family. And like every family, that you got a few nuts. Okay? You, you, you got some that are a little on the, the serious side. You got some who are on the, the, the fun love inside. You got all these dynamics. But here's the thing. You're family. And family means we love you. We serve you. And we want the best for you. And nobody attacks family. And that's all possible because of God. So what do we do with this? I want to give you two things really quickly. First one, I want to say this. Be part of a local body. I cannot stress this enough. If you're really serious about your growth as a Christian, you need to get plugged into a local body of believers. You know, it... In Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, it uses the word members over and over and over. See, we can argue that church membership is biblical and it's important. Now, there are those who are, who are probably in their mind going right now, well, wait a minute, I can be a Christian, not go to church. All right, so theologically, you're correct because church attendance doesn't save you or not save you. So in that term, you're, you're correct. However... You're disobedient for this reason. Because in the Gospel of Luke, it says that Jesus went to the synagogue as was his custom. All right, so if Jesus went to church, I'm pretty sure his believers ought to be. And then Hebrews 10:5 says, And do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some. Okay, so we see the example of Christ and the commandment of Scripture that we need to be plugged into a local body of believers. And I'm going to meddle a little bit more because you love me already. I'm a father. I love good children's ministries. I have a child that's old enough to be in the youth group. I love good youth programs. I love music. There's not a place I have found that I won't sing. All of these ministries are vital. 
They are good, but they cannot be the reason that you attend a local body. Can't be the primary reason. The primary reason that we attend, that we join, that we belong, is it's a body that preaches the word, the whole word, and nothing but the word. They preach the whole counsel of God even when it's uncomfortable. That's the body you belong to. All of those things, man, that, that's the whipped cream and the cherry on top. But the double fudge layer cake has to be the word. Because it's the word that converts the soul. That's why it has been my intention since stepping foot here. That as a church, we will pray the word, we will sing the word, and we will preach the word. And we will never deviate off of that. And when you find that church, get plugged into it. Attend worship as often as you can. Get plugged into Bible studies. Let me give you a quick uh, plug here. Every Sunday morning, 945, all over this building, we have Bible study classes. Husbands and wives, you go, man, I've spent all week with this person. I just need a break from them. That's okay. We've got separate men and women's classes. Husbands and wives that are like, man, we've been apart all week. I want to spend some time with you. Or y'all are still just crazy in love and want to be together. We've got two options for you there. We've got kids' classes. We've got youth classes. What I'm saying is you don't have an argument, an excuse not to be in a Bible study. Not only that, we've got them on Wednesday. We've got one Wednesday morning at 8.30. Uh, right now, it's meeting at Bojangles. Uh, hopefully, soon, it'll be going back to Sugar and Slice. Uh, then we got a Wednesday night study at 645. Wholly different than what you're doing right now. Um, and sometimes during the weeks, we have other Bible studies. What I want to emphasize to you is this. Get plugged in to a Bible study. Get that community and that accountability. If you're plugged into it, praise God. If you're not, let me just say this. This afternoon at 3 o'clock, we're going to do a class called New to Westlake. It's our new members class. Simply what we do is we walk through what do we believe as a church. What should you expect from us as a church? And what will we expect from you if you become a member here? If you're not part of this church already plugged in, I want to encourage you before you leave, just say, hey, Pastor Justin, I want to be a part of that. There's no pressure. There's no, nobody's going to sit there and go, sign right there. Okay? We're going to inform you. We're going to tell you who we are because I believe Scripture teaches high accountability. Both ways. We'd love to have you. Come, come see it, all right? Second thing, last thing I want to say is this. Be a student of the Word of God. There's nothing better than getting alone and allowing the Spirit of God to teach you the Word of God. Allow him to speak to you. That same research I alluded to earlier showed the number one spiritual discipline a person needs in order to grow in their faith is engaging the Bible. Now, I didn't say reading the Bible. I said engaging it. What does engaging mean? Well, I'm not this clever, so I'm going to lean on the words of a man by the name of Robbie Gallaty. It says engaging the Word of God is... Getting in the Word of God until the Word gets in you. See, some of us, when we read the Scriptures, we're just checking off a little to-do list. All right, read my Bible today. 
that won't lead to transformation. We want to get into the Word until the Word gets in us. And how do I know when the Word gets into me? It begins to change me. It challenges me so that the Spirit of God transforms me into His image for His glory. It's a proven fact that people who engage Scripture regularly, they attend church more, they're involved in Bible study more, they share the gospel more, they serve more, and they see the need to give to missions so the gospel goes furthermore. So if you're serious about your walk with Christ in 2019, I want to tell you this, get in this. If you're not sure where to start, let us help. This nice, pretty, bright blue mark, uh, blue bookmark. This is the Bible reading plan that we as a church are doing. It's called Foundations 260 New Testament. In other words, you're reading one chapter of the New Testament a day, Monday through Friday, for 52 weeks. When you do that, you're going to read through all of the New Testament. Okay, if you don't have a Bible reading plan already, out in the foyer or right out on the... Um, table right as you come in there are these bright blue bookmarks i hope you will take one and just pick up where it should be start of week five tomorrow on luke 21 use saturday and sunday to go back and catch up on the other readings but get into the word of god because this is how god will grow you so as we close this morning I just want to say this, wherever you are in your walk with Jesus, I want to encourage you to take the next step. If you're here this morning and you have never surrendered to the grace of Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you, surrender your life to him. It means understanding and confessing that, yes, you're a sinner. Trusting that Jesus died in your place. And as you confess your sin, the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. That he will save you. And maybe you're thinking, well, you don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter. See, where sin did abound, grace did abound much more. It's what Paul told us in Romans 5. You can't out-sin the grace of God if you'll come to him. Maybe your next step is you need to get plugged in here. God's brought you here. He's keeping you here. And you need to start blossoming here with your spiritual gift. So I'm going to encourage you, before you leave, go, hey, I want to attend today. If you want, but you can't do it today, let me know. We'll talk. We are going to run it multiple times. If you're not in the Word of God regularly, pick up a bookmark on your way out. Let's start tomorrow. If you're not using your spiritual gift, come up. Say, will you help me learn what my spiritual gift is and how I can start using it? You don't want to come talk to me. You got Pastor Harry. He'll be here as well. And an opportunity for us to pray and encourage you and help you. Wherever you are with God, let's take that next step. Would you stand as we're going to pray together this morning? Father, in the quietness of this moment, We just want to pause before you right now. Father, we want to ask that you would continue to search our hearts and our minds. You know whether or not we have trusted in you or not. 
And so, Father, I pray for those who don't have a relationship with you today, that, God, today would be that day of salvation. Lord, I'm trusting not in myself, not in my words, but resting wholly on that promise of Scripture that you said through the prophet Isaiah that as the word goes out, it will not return void, but it will accomplish what you desire. And so, Lord, we give this time to you and we ask that you would move in our hearts and in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.